Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Go Boldly podcast. I am truly uh, excited. It's been a little bit since I've done a recording and I'm truly excited. I have put this gentleman off because of the transition to Germany and he's been extremely patient with me and uh, and we finally got this thing scheduled. And so I am excited to have you on, Robert. So today we've got Robert Blaze on the, on the line and um, your story is, is, is amazing and I can't wait to to share it with the audience and just, just, you know, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. So you are actively um, working with, with some interesting groups as a real estate agent. Is, is that, is that safe to say? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm pretty blessed with what I do. I get to uh, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a company that uh, came through and it was called Landed. And it was helping educators um, with um, finding finding homes and down payment assistance. And I had interviewed for a job to be one of the referral sources. And then I ended up, I've closed over 40 deals of, with educators. And it's what a blessing. Um, it's so good to help them out. Um, they've since, you know, feels like 08 again, almost where things are kind of, kind of shrinking a little bit. Um, and so landed is no more. Uh, as far as helping with down payment assistance for these educators. But I was very lucky to get in with quite a few of them, get to know them, get to earn their trust and, you know, be uh, a referral for them, uh, for their friends and family. So I feel pretty lucky. And then uh, um, the one thing that excites a lot of people is uh, I get to work with the Colorado Rockies um, every spring. Yeah. Yeah. I get to help them uh, find places to rent for the season and I've gotten to know quite a few uh, players as well as sports agents, um, investment guys, you know, their, their confidants that they have around the country. And uh, it's nice. I just had a call the other day from uh, a company who was looking for somebody like a property manager to come and check on their house while they're away for the off season. And so I was able to refer that out to somebody I know who does that kind of job. And um, you know, just being that referral source for them and, and that trusted confidant here in Denver. And last year I was able to close my very first deal with a Rockies player after about six years of uh, working for free, basically, and helping them find places to rent. So it was kind of cool. You know, you just, you just said something that kind of like perked my attention that you spent six years basically working for free to finally land an amazing deal. That is, I, as I think about your, your bio, the, the word that comes to mind, and, it, and it's a word that I love to use with my clients, resilient. You, going back to 2008, and if and we, most of us remember, if we were, you know, of, of any age, what happened in 2008, you know, the, the economic, the financial crash, um, so many people, especially real estate and mortgage, and a lot of people just lost tons of of money in 2008 you know just ridiculous and yet here you are today all these years later you picked it up and you you found a way to reconnect and you found a, re- a way to stay connected to what you what you were doing back then but you've been resilient and, and then you you say well i spent six years I'm just going to say pounding the pavement, doing the work, mm-hmm. putting the time in, building relationships, and it paid off. Yeah. Yeah. Can, speak speak to that, because I, I want to know where where you learned resilience. and Because for most people, it'd be easy to just go, screw it. I'm out of here. I'm yeah. done. 
Um, I think I get my work ethic from my parents. Um, but I started working when I was 12 years old. Um, I started working in the hotels. There's a small hotel in my hometown in South Dakota. And uh, at 12 years old, my first job was hauling luggage off of tour buses that came through and stayed the night. Wow. And I'd haul these heavy sons of guns all the way up these stairs. And these little old ladies who were on their trip across the country, we were one of the, we were one of their last stops at Mount Rushmore. And, and oh my God, all kinds study. of stuff in there. <laughs> oh man, I made so much in tips, and all the high schoolers were so angry with me because I'm just this little guy out there sweating. And the fat, the more bags I could haul, the more money I made. Yeah. And the high schoolers were kind of lazy; they were just taking one at a time. And I would take two or three at once. And I was small. I mean, I was five foot two and eighty five pounds at twelve years old. And I am just hauling these bags that weigh as much as me up these stairs. And I'm just sweating. And these old ladies are like, here's $10, here's $20. And these guys are making a buck, you know? And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm outworking you. And, uh, you know, I always felt like back in uh, 08, you know, kind of fast forward. I moved to Arizona after a, a failed attempt at trying to make the Olympic trials in the marathon. Mm -hmm. um, I'm from Minnesota, which was 50 below zero uh, to Arizona, where it was hundred degrees above, you know, and I, my feet were about done with running marathons and, and uh, I just couldn't do it much more. So I moved to, to Arizona and I got in mortgages with a buddy of mine and I didn't know anything about it. My first job was getting a folder and a checklist and putting documents that I thought matched the checklist into a folder and put it, putting it in a file. Um, that way an underwriter would get it. That was my first job in, in mortgages. And I didn't know. And I worked my way up quick. And I always said, I'm, I always felt like I was the hardest worker in the room. I'm going to work my butt off no matter what. And it came to a point a few years in um, where I was working. I was going to work at 2 a.m. and I was being done at 8 p.m. I was really hustling because I didn't get overtime and I only made a base salary that was much less than all the other people there because I had no experience, which is fine. But every deal I closed over a certain amount, I got $35 a file. Well, I'm no dummy. I needed the money needed to pay my bills and everybody was selling the same product. It was all subprime lending, which I had no idea what that meant at the time. Now I do. Um, but everybody was selling the same product, but my account executive was selling me. Hmm. He wasn't selling a product. He was saying, look, I can get you the same thing everybody else can, but I got a guy that can get it done. And he, he's the hardest worker in the room. And I would meet these, these, you know, these lenders, um, these, these brokers, I'd meet with them and they're like, how are you doing it? And I told them, I said, I have to have two assistants below me. They show up at eight, they leave at five. But every morning, by the time they come in, they have stacks of files that they have to follow up on. And then I'm doing the rest of them. And I always had 200 files in the cabinet. And I closed on, a, on average 115 deals per month, um, every month for 13 straight months. I was a top producing account executive units wise. Uh, volume wise, there was a guy in California I was very competitive with, but his home prices were a little higher. So um I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I just, I just knew just try to get every, all the information to the underwriter. They sign off. I give it to the funder, they fund it. And then it counts as, as a deal for me. Right. Yeah. And really I'm just handling papers. So I didn't really understand. And then when bank of, or uh, when new century mortgage shut down, um, I realized it doesn't matter how hard I work. If the company is not going to work as hard as me, mm. I have no shot. Yeah. And so because of that, you know, I ended up losing our house. I was overextended, had no idea. Um, we had to give back our cars that we had just gotten not too long ago. 
Um, we lost two babies cause we were, um, we were pregnant at the time and the stress was just insurmountable. And so, you know, we had a couple of attempts that didn't work, which is not super uncommon. I don't want to, you know, it's not all blamed on that. It just timing wise, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, losing jobs and, and all of that, you know, and going back to attempt service and trying to figure my way out and trying to find a place to live. And, you know, we struggled for a while. And then, um, about, you know, 2009, we had our, our, our first son and, uh, he was born with a hole in his heart and with jaundice. So he was kind of yellow. And so we had to keep him close to children's hospital for a month just to kind of monitor him and keep him in the sun. And we were staying at a friend's condo. She was actually letting that go into foreclosure and we were staying for free. And, uh, you know, everybody was doing that. They were making business decisions. What's best for them. I had short sold my house. I had to, I had no choice. I had to make a business decision. Um, and after a month, Jackson was really, you know, in a, in a good space and we moved to Colorado with family and, uh, you know, we struggled for a couple of years. I ended up going back down to Arizona for a year on my own, uh, just to get my old job back at bank of America. Cause I, I was a short sale person there, you know, and they were still in there and I moved up to management there. And finally, I just asked the, you know, one of the high up managers, if he could help me get a job back in Colorado. And I ended up coming back here for a while and then they shut down. So there I was jobless again. This time through experience, I saw the writing on the wall right. and I had a feeling that Bank of America was going to lay us off eventually. We were the only thing in Colorado. So business sense for a large company made sense that corporate's probably not going to keep one little branch up in Colorado when they can do everything out of Arizona and California and Texas, the main hubs. So I'd already started taking real estate courses and then uh, they laid us off on Valentine's Day in 2014 of all right. days. So packed up my things, tucked my tail, went home and said, I'm going to, I'm going to work for myself because nobody's a harder worker than me. And uh, it took me a couple months to finish all the courses and, and whatnot. Cause I wasn't quite sure what I was doing. Took the tests. I finally passed. I finally found a company I wanted to work with, uh, hung my license and I worked hard to try to find a deal. And let me tell you, there's no, no scarier thing than trying to find somebody who wants to buy and sell real estate with a guy that's never closed one before. Yeah. Um, you know, and then a couple of years later, I switched. Well, it was about six months later, I switched companies uh, more in alignment with me. It's a boutique type company called Lux Denver. And it wasn't so corporate focused where you have to do so many deals and you got to get these guys on a contract immediately in a hard sale. It was more of a relaxed environment where you have to figure out why do you want to do real estate? Who do you want to help? Um, I really like helping educators because let's face it, I was not a very good student growing up. I, I felt bad for the teachers that had to go through with me and my kids are straight A students and I could not be more proud of that, but helping educators makes me feel like I'm giving back something that I, I, you know, I messed up early in my life, but I'm able to kind of do something different to help them. And then I had a conversation with, with my, my boss, Emily, and she goes, what is your passion? And it didn't even blink. And I said, baseball, really? Nobody knew that. I said, absolutely. Baseball is my passion. I remember listening to Vince Scully on the radio when I was a little kid. And now I get to help coach my kids in baseball. This is several years ago, about six years ago. And she's like, well, there's a team here. Have you ever asked them about helping them? And I said, I don't even know what where to start. She goes, ask. So it was the off season. It was December. And I walked into Coors Field. And I'm probably the reason they have security on the door now. We get the buzz in. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I just walked right into the secretary's office and I said, look, I know I'm not the first one or the hundredth one, but I, I want to help the players or the coaches and 
you know, anybody who's working here, find a place to rent for this season. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want anything for it. I don't want, I don't want a fee. I don't want autographs. I don't want tickets. I don't want anything. I don't even have to meet the player because I know most of them deal with, you know, the wives deal with it and the girlfriends. Right. And I said, that's, that doesn't motivate me. Seeing, seeing an athlete doesn't, it's not my motivation. What's my motivation is seeing an athlete not get screwed by Mm -hmm. somebody who's trying to overcharge for rent or ask for free tickets. And I've had some of those scenarios where they found out who the player was and they were like, Hey, I want season tickets, postseason tickets. If they make it this, that, and go pound sand, I don't want to deal with you. And, uh, the lady says, well, go ahead and just leave some information. I said, with all due respect, I see your trash can. I know where it's going. I said, I didn't bring a business card on, on purpose. I said, I want you to write down my number and give it to the person who is in charge of the players. Um, and she she kind of was taken aback. She didn't know how to react. And uh, so she she told me the number to call the next day because the lady was out. So I did. And I left a long mo- voicemail. And about two weeks later, I got a call from the director of MLB operations. And he's like, Robert? He goes, you are not the first person to call us. You are not the hunter's person, but you are the most passionate. Wow. And uh, he goes, why don't you come on in for a meeting? We went in, we talked for a little over an hour and maybe five minutes of it was real estate and how I could help the players. And the rest was all baseball. It was wow. all talking about players that he knew, you know, Hank Aaron and and all these guys from Atlanta that he, wow. when he was out there. And then when the Rockies came here in 93, he started with them. And then we just started talking about all the Rockies players that we knew, you know, because growing up in South Dakota, they were kind of a team you followed in 93 when I graduated high school. And yeah. so, you know, it was pretty cool just to to do that. And I reiterated my thing. The only thing I want is an opportunity to interview for a job if any of them buys. That's it. I don't have I don't want the job. I want to interview for it because yeah. I want to be able to look them straight in the eye and say, I have helped X amount of players for free for the last six years, et cetera. And they can, they can vouch for me and they can vouch the trust for me. And I have a lot of them are repeat, repeat clients, coaches, all that. And uh, last year, one of them, I had never helped. Um, actually, the, the wife took our family photos a couple of years ago. Wow. And uh, I didn't, maybe that was the interview. I have no idea. And uh, I said, well, you know, we got done with the pictures and I said, well, how much do I owe you? And she goes, oh, you're already paid for. I'm like, I didn't pay. She goes, no, this other player did. Like I was just taken aback. I was like, holy cow, how did they know? I never told anybody. Like, well, I had mentioned that I was going to meet with you and your wife and your kids and they absolutely adore your family. And uh, so, yeah, they paid for it. I'm like, that is unfair. (laughs) But talk about just, just the little things like that, that just, you know, you know, you're kind of doing it right um, when you do that. And then the next year they ended up buying a house and uh, you know, I was able to take, you know, when you close a, um, a property of that magnitude, it was by far the easiest transaction I ever had by far. The agent that I was working with was amazing. She was spectacular. The communication between the sellers, my clients, myself, the agent, it was on point. It was really, really good. And when you make a commission like that, you're like, Oh my God, this is more money than most people make in a year. You know, what what do I do? Well, the first thing that I thought of was my wife has a lot of student loan debt a lot. And uh, I should have pulled a credit report when I got married. Um, <laughs> no, just a bad joke there. <laughs> but I, um, she has quite a few that are in a, um, in a deal where she works for the school district now. And if you work there 10 years, you make your payments and all that, then that's the rest of it's waived. Nice. And so she has about 125,000 of that in, in that 
section that we can't touch right now. Um, but she had about a little over 50,000 in student loan debt that was all private loans that needed to be paid off. And they had co-signers. They had her uncle, her ex-boyfriend's mom, all this stuff. And I said, we need to pay that off. We need to get out of that. And so we literally took that commission and wiped it all out. And then we paid off one vehicle. And so the financial freedom that gained from that, I wish I still had that check, you know, but I mean, I was able to just clear that off. You know, my wife doesn't have that hanging over her head anymore and talk about a relief. Yeah. And so, you know, now I feel like we're starting to see not a similarity per se, but a feeling like a, I have a gut feeling and I don't like it. And it's that the housing market is shifting a little bit. While we don't have inventory, the, the housing prices aren't going to tank. Right. But at the same time, we don't have a lot of buyers because of interest rates. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here going, how can I protect my family and my house when I'm slow, as well as how can I protect the people that I help buy a home for? And giving them options. And my phone's been ringing, you know, hey, do you know somebody who does this or that? Or what What should I do? And, you know, to be able to have already gone through something so significant and yeah. have that education in my background of like, here's where I think you should call and ask. And here's what I think you should do. And if you're going to sell this investment property, here's why I would do it now. Or here's what I would do with this, you know, and here's why I wouldn't do it because of, you know, property, gain, uh, capital gains, property taxes and stuff. And that's the other thing is property taxes in Colorado are so expensive right now. They've gone up. They're not as expensive as other places in the country. I get that. But for us, it, it's quite a mm -hmm. shock when you're paying a lot for a house. So, And yeah. you, you said so much in that. that a couple of things I want to capitalize on is, you know, Zig Ziglar once made the comment. He's passed away now, um, but he was one of the greatest motivational speakers of all time. And he, he made the comment that if you help enough people get what they want, you'll eventually get what you, what, what you want. And I think you, you have literally epitomized that, that, that statement. And it came to fruition in that conversation with that, that first guy that, that interviewed you, yep. you basically said to him, look, it's not about me. It's about me serving your, your team. It's about me serving in any capacity, in any way, in any shape. And it came back to you by a nice commission. It came back to you with wonderful family pictures. It came back to you by, by somebody saying, you got to call this guy. Yep. The other thing that you said it twice, that nobody works harder in the room than you do. That is a phenomenon that is rare these days. Like people want to work 10 to two, make a million dollars and go home. And that just doesn't happen. No, that's not reality. <laughs> no, and I see so many people in, that are entrepreneurs that, you know, they try to try to get by with just the bare minimum and, and, and try to make these, these huge high ticket sales. And once they make those sales, they don't deliver. And I see, I see real estate agents and I see mortgage brokers and I see insurance agents that, you know, what I have seen in, in my coaching is a lot of, a lot of people would take that commission and take a, a vacation, go buy a car and, and they wouldn't sell anything for six months because it's like they, they, they hit their, their ceiling. They hit their limiting belief and go, 
oh, well, I made it. Now I've got to, I've got to do whatever I can to go back to where I was struggling before. Mm-hmm. How did you overcome that? mind? Cause that's a mindset that we all struggle with like that limiting belief. I'm not sure that you've ever had a limiting belief. Maybe you have. Well, I mean, it's maybe in certain aspects of my life, I am human. Um, But I realized when going through what what I went through at the time, it was just me and my wife. Mm. Um, At the time, I was just Tana and myself going through me losing my job and and losing the house and the cars and, you know, going through, you know, losing, you know, two babies. And I don't want anybody to ever feel what her and I went through because a lot of marriages wouldn't survive. And they didn't in a way in 09. And a lot of it was the root cause was money. Yeah. And here's what I've learned, especially in real estate is money does not last forever. And so when I finally got on my feet and we have a mutual friend, his name is Marcus Ogden. And I met yeah. him in 2019 and he and I were riding on a bus from a meeting that we had together that he was a, a speaker on over to Angel Stadium in, in Anaheim. And we were talking about bankruptcy. And he's like, yeah, man, he goes, I went through all of it. I've been, you know, working for pennies on the dollar and, you know, I was in the NFL to bankruptcy. And I said, I felt like I was, you know, on top of the world, one of the top producers in the country. And then I'm in bankruptcy, you know, and my bankruptcy was a little different than his. We ended up having to pay for five years um, with the, with the chapter that we filed. And when we got through that, I made a vow that I'm never going to go through that again because I have kids now. I'm never going to lose my home again. They'll have to pry it from my cold, dead hands if to do that. I will make the payments on time, you know, if anything. Um, and I will get second jobs, third jobs. I'll do whatever I can to protect my house because my kids need a quality of life not to go through something like that. And money doesn't last forever. You know, yeah. my job right now is extremely slow compared to what it was for the last, you know, 36 months. Um, when COVID hit, I mean, I lost $3 million in business overnight. And then I ended up having my best year ever, you know, and interest rates going down help. But there's a false, I, you know, there's a false floor of, of yeah. interest rates now. Everybody thinks they're going to come back down to 2 and 3%. And that's not going to happen. That was just a wild phenomenon that happened because of a, a pandemic. I don't yeah. see that ever happening again. Now, who knows? Um, I think 3 or 4, 5, 6% is probably where they should be. Um, and kind of will be at when, once everything, once the dust settles, but we're still trying to fight through this recession and everything else we're going through here. So, you know, what's the phrase that it's only going to get worse before it gets better. And that's kind of what I feel like is going to happen. And, you know, of course there's an election coming up and there's going to be a lot of stress and everybody's going to be feeling it and pinching. And, um, but I just know that everything is cyclical in real estate. You have the good times and you have the bad times. We had really good times for a few years and I was able to make some headway on my wife's student loans. And let me tell you, I feel more blessed than I could ever imagine. But at the same time, I know that it's slow now. And if I don't keep producing, guess what? I could be in the same boat again. So I need to make, you know, I need to make lemonade out of lemons. So I got to keep, keep doing podcasts and sharing my story and be like, look, you know, you're not the only one out there. I know I wasn't the only one in 2008 that lost everything. That's why I went into short sales to help people with Bank of America. And I was one of their first classes through to help people get through short sales because they didn't even know what a short sale was. Yeah. Um, and I helped thousands of borrowers during that time. 
And I felt like, okay, at least I'm doing something good, even though it's something bad. Um, Yeah, I was able to help a lot of people through that across the country, not just in Arizona where I live. And then now it's like, look, I helped a lot of people buy homes in the last few years. And if any of them end up losing their jobs or any of them are struggling or moving out of the country or whatever, I want to be that person that helps them out. I hope they don't go through what I did. And I hope I can catch it before they do. And I hope this story resonates with somebody who listens to it because it's hell. It really is. Um, but, you know, I made a vow never to go back there again. Anything I can do to help people and help myself, I will for sure. You know, it's it's interesting. I've been listening to uh, some different Audible books. And uh, I was listening to one by Bob Proctor. And he said that money is just paper. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, he said... He said, if you think about it, it's a tree that has been turned into paper that has printing on it. It's, that's all it is. And we put so much emphasis, so much value on a piece of paper that has numbers on it. That really, it'll burn. You could throw it away. And something that something that you did, and I think it comes back to you you learned from your past. And so you took the big commission check and you said, look, I'm going to set myself up for success in the event that something does happen. You're not wishing it. You're not asking for it to happen. You're just saying, I'm going to take kind of the Dave Ramsey model, which I'm not a big fan of Dave Ramsey, but it's the Dave Ramsey model, right? Of, yeah. of you know, pay down your, your biggest debt, snowball, and now you've got, you, you don't have the big check, but you do have more cash flow right? than you did six months ago because now you're, you've got that money that you were spending on that, those, that car and that student loan, which yep. let's just say, let's just say $5,000 a month. Like that's, that's a big chunk of change that now you can reinvest back into your family that now you, you know, and and it's not a it's not a means to say, hey, I don't have that five thousand dollars. I'm just using a round figure because right. I'm not very smart when it comes to numbers. <laughs> I've I've got I don't you know I don't need I, I need to continue doing what I've been doing. It's not a time to say, hey, I don't need to make as much money now because I don't have that debt. That's not the time to say that. Right. Now it's time to say, okay, I've paid this. I've got an additional 5,000. How can I invest that? Maybe take half of that and invest it back into my business and continue to do what, what I've got to do so that in the event that all hell breaks loose again, I've got a nice cushion. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is just paper, but at the same time, that paper pays for, you know, sports. It pays for food gas, everything that has skyrocketed, at least here, you know, and I know I've seen gas prices in the $6 range in California. It's over four here in the East coast. I've heard that it's over four, you know, and, you know, I think 29% increase on, on perishable goods here in Colorado, you know, everything's going up. Property taxes just skyrocketed this year. They had a reassessment of all the homes in Colorado. Well, everything that was bought two years ago in 2020, three years ago, and now they were reassessed last year, you know, my property taxes went up $500 a month. And mine was low compared to a lot of my clients. So 
everything went up. So of course people are going, holy cow, I, I can't sustain this forever. Do I need to sell and move? Do I need to uh, readjust? Do I need to get a second job? Do I? What do I need to do? And they needed a home. And the one thing I told every single one of my buyers is make sure that if something happens to one of you, make sure that you can still afford it just in case, because you never know. Something happened to my wife and I, and her income was not enough to cover it. I learned from my mistakes. So I really did try to help all my buyers when they were buying and trying to get them good deals. You know, and patience was a virtue. You know, don't settle on a house. house. Don't settle ever. Yeah. Be picky. Even in a hot market, be picky. Because if you're going to compete, and I think I only had, and this is a number I'm really proud of. I think during 20, what was it about 2019 to 2022, I think I only had three buyers out of all of them and probably well over 100, 100 clients of buyers, only about three that went over asking. Wow. And all the rest, we were able to get list price or below. That's, so, that's rare. I've got friends in, in Tennessee that almost every house that they were selling or buying, you know, buying, their clients were buying, was selling for five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars over asking price. And it, yeah, I'm like, that's going to come back and bite them in the butt. And I, yeah. I would I would not want to be the real estate agent that that did that because it's going to happen. It, it's tough, and and you always have to tell your clients like if you're going to do that, you have to understand the ramifications. I'm telling you not to do it. I am yeah. telling you this because you're you're overpaying, and the years to recoup that can take a while. Yeah, my my baseball players did. They 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 were one of them. They were one of the three. They went way over asking to get the perfect home for them in the perfect location. How do you say no to somebody to that? You know, they're it's like, Go they're making good money, but it's a secure, it's a secure thing too. And I know their financial, they can afford that. Everybody knows their financial situation, put it that way. Cause they know the contract. But at the same time, I warn them, if you go too high, it takes you many years to recoup. If you get traded, you're going to want to keep this as a rental and rent it to other baseball players, you know? And so we had that discussion prior to, but at least I educated these young kids because that's all they are. They're young kids. Yeah. Um, but, it's, you know, telling people that, yeah, you need to go $25,000 over to get this home. All you have to do sometimes, money wasn't everything to my sellers too. They didn't need an offer for 20000 over. Is it nice? Yeah. But it really sets an agent up for failure, yeah. um, I think. Because they may not be able to sell that home in two years because they may not have recouped the money. Yeah. Whereas most of my clients have recouped it because they went in at asking or below. And it really just, it's picking up the phone, talking to the other agent. What does a seller want? What yeah. is important to them? If it's money, it may not be the right fit for my clients. If it's a solid buyer who's going to close in 14 days, I got that. Right? If it's limited inspection, I'm not waiving inspection. I never once waived an inspection. But, but I did limit it. Yeah, we'll do the health and safety stuff. But what's health and safety? Right. It's yeah. a pretty gray area. And so I think I did a pretty good job of managing, walking that line, you know, all the way through. It was tough, you know. So I, I don't know. I feel like I had my client's best interest at hand all the way through it. Not perfect. I guarantee that. But I've learned from my mistakes. And hopefully I helped some people out not go through what my wife and I went through. <laughs> You know, the word that comes to mind for me is is integrity. And that's what you had. You, you were more concerned about your buyers and the seller 
than you were about your own bank account. And that to me is, you know, I'm in the counseling and coaching world and I see so many counselors that have clients come back every week for two years and they come to me and I'm like, what did you talk about? Well, the same thing every week for, yeah, the same thing. And it just makes me so angry. And I see the same thing in coaching and real estate and mortgages and insurance. And, and I sold insurance for years and I would lose a client because some agent would sell them some crappy product that they would say $5 a month and I'd lose a client. And it's like, you know, that you're not fully covered. If something happens, you're really going to lose everything, but you go ahead and you save your $5 a month because, yeah. And it, but I think, you know, integrity is, is really the word that comes to mind. And the, and the other thing, thing is, uh, you know, you mentioned election year coming up. We, as a, as a, as a country have got to vote the right way at the local, at the state, at the national level. I mean, just it's our future depends on it. I would agree. Just voting because it's not just, it's not just national. It's, it's state level. It's, it's local level. Um, I see it in my hometown back in Florida, just County commissioners that are money hungry. And, yeah. uh, and it's like, you got to go. I don't care where you go, but you got to go. Right. <laughs> Somebody who cares about the the bigger picture here. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's incredible, man. As we, as we kind of bring this to a close, we've talked about a lot and, and you, you just have an incredible story of resilience. What's, what's one piece of advice that maybe you were given or that you love to give that my audience can walk away with it's coming at, you know, finishing out this year, we're in the last quarter of the year. Um, what, what is something that somebody may be struggling with being resilient or being persistent? I love thinking grow rich in that chapter nine on persistence. I just think that's, that's the, the key to it all. And, uh, um, yeah. but just what's one piece of advice that you would give to, to my audience? Well, in college, I wasn't perfect. I know it's hard to believe. Um, a buddy and I, uh, it's a short story. Bear with me here. A buddy of mine and I were running. We're all runners. And we ran over a car, not thinking. We're both 120, 130 pounds. We just one step, one step, one step, we're off. Didn't think anything of it. The next day, everybody's mad at us. We're like, what's going on? Well, we dented the car. It was a brand new car. Oh and we scratched it. Must have had a rock in our shoe or something. We didn't know. So we had to pay for it two broke college kids trying to pay for a new paint job. So they gave us an estimate. We paid it about a month later. I cut my hand on a piece of glass and I'm getting sewed up by the dad of the son who had that car. Oh man. And I'm, I'm just devastated. It's, it was kind of a rock bottom for me in college. My dad had had a heart attack. My grades were suffering. I was angry. Um, my mom who was an alcoholic was not on best terms with me. Um, and there was a lot going on there, you know, I've got stories for years. And so he goes, Robert, he goes, it's not what you did. It's what you do after it that counts. Mm. So think about that. It's not what I did by running over the car that defines me. Right. It's what you're going to do after that, that defines what, who you are. You made yeah. a mistake. You moved on, you paid for it and you moved on. There are people that make a lot bigger mistakes than running over a car. There are people who we have forgiven in the limelight, professional athletes who have 
made major mistakes and we have forgiven them or at least made it to where they can pursue their dreams still. Um, I lost everything in 2008 by not paying attention to the red flags, right? I don't want that to happen to anybody else. That was a mistake I made. I paid for it. I went through the bankruptcy. We lost two kids. We did all of that. But what I'm doing after that is what counts. I'm trying to help people not go through that. I don't care what state you live in. It doesn't matter. I know agents from all over the country through LinkedIn, through my network of people on Facebook, whatever. Um, I just referred a deal out to Utah. You know, a past client of mine here in Denver moved to LA. His mom in Utah was selling a house. I helped find them. I interviewed 20 agents. I gave them all of them. I said what I what they told me in the interview process. He interviewed, he picked one, and I got a referral fee out of it. Nice. Just closed yesterday. I just got the call. It doesn't matter where you live, but if you have a, a question and if it's a friend of mine or not, somebody that trusts me and says, hey, what would you do in this situation? Or, you know, who do you know that can do this? It's what I want to do after what happened to me in 08, right? That's what I want to do. I want to be that person that they can look at and say, Robert's been through hell. Yeah. And he's bouncing back and life's not perfect, but he's doing everything he can. And his life revolves around his two boys and sports and all that. I like that. I trust him. So, you know, again, it's not what you, what you did. It's what you do after it that counts. That's, that's what I really live by. I, I always, I always, in, in light of that, I always tell my clients that you are on the other side of everything that you've ever been through. And there is a other, O-T-H-E-R, there is a other side to whatever you're going through right now. And you just got to push through. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, and it's what you do on that other side of that mountain, of that hill, of that car that you run over that <laughs> determines your character. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it has been a, an absolute pleasure to have you on. I can't wait to... Uh, check back in with you in six months and a year and 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 just see where you're at and uh, how many more ball players that you've you've closed houses for and uh just see what what happens with you man well my fingers are crossed and i got something proud to tell you <laughs> awesome awesome i'm gonna i'm gonna expect it we're gonna we're gonna uh have a spirit of a, a expectation and uh and we know something great's gonna happen for you i love it thank you so much for the opportunity to be on here and tell my story absolutely brother i appreciate it you bet. You have a great day. You too.